Amen. You may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to look at the passage that we just read just a minute, moment ago from Acts. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you uh, for the freedom that we can gather together and, and clearly and boldly proclaim your name, that we can sing your praises, that we can read your words. We thank you uh, for that great privilege. We thank you uh, that we have a great God to worship and that we get to gather together and, and to do that together. We pray this morning that as we... Uh, open your word that you would speak to us that you would speak to us clearly that you would show us what you would want us to see Uh, we confess each week as we open your word that we cannot do this on our own and so we ask that you would be moving in this place that the holy spirit would be in this place taking the eternal truths of your word and applying them to our hearts and our minds and shaping and molding us and showing us uh, so clearly what jesus has done for us and what that means for us today We thank you for the opportunity uh, to do just that today. We pray that you would be glorified in our time. Uh, We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I was thinking uh, back of, I don't know, the last, I guess, eight or nine years that I've now uh, had the privilege of being able to preach regularly here at Church of the Apostles and the different times uh, that I've been able to stand here and say, man, the world is a mess. I feel like I'm saying that more frequently uh, as I wrote that down kind of at the beginning, thinking about that uh, with what happened in Las Vegas this past week. That again was my heart as I started to think about how do we talk about some of these things and acts and that kept coming to mind. Man, the world is a mess. And the only thing I can think is is what it says at the end of Revelation that the Apostle John writes of of come Lord Jesus come that we yearn and we long for God to come and set things right. And we see people getting shot for no apparent reason, mowed down. It's easy to go to Revelation and just say, yes, Jesus, come now. And we should be praying that. The Bible tells us we should be living expectantly and asking and praying and asking God that would come. The Bible tells us Jesus will return again. And when he does, he will set all things right. He will make all things new. And all tears will be wiped away and all things will be made as they were supposed to be in fullness. And so we do look forward to that day. But the Bible also tells us that as we wait in expectation, we're not supposed to just wait. Uh, One of the most beautiful passages that looks forward to when Jesus returns is at the end of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he talks about the glorified bodies that we will have when he returns. And he talks about how the mortal will put on immortal. And he, and he gets to the end and he talks about how death will be wiped away. Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Almost mocking death. And he says all that and he gets to the very end and then he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so Paul says, yes, Jesus is coming again. And yes, it's going to be wonderful. And yes, everything's going to be set right. So get to work while you wait. That all that we do for his glory and for his kingdom now will not be in vain as Jesus will wrap all that into the beautiful work that he is going to bring to completion. And so I was thinking about that. When we look at our world and we see the mess that is in it, how do we change things? Because it is a mess. It's a mess in a whole lot of ways. And I was thinking about what does that look like? If we were to turn to our culture and ask that question of how does change comes, we might get something 
If we looked at the political discourse, if we look at editorials, if we look at the way social media functions today, we might come to the conclusion that the way that change comes is by being outraged and then shaming and belittling and mocking the people that disagree with us. Because it seems like that's what our world says on how we bring change today. Heavy doses of that. If you disagree with me, you're wrong, and now it's free game to just attack you. And so my question is, is that how change comes? Is that how it works? And I say to you, I don't think it is. And one of the reasons is our text today and what we're going to look at. We've been walking our way through the book of Acts, and we see how 120 people in Acts 1, as Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, and they go out and they take him seriously. And they take them in his word. They begin to turn the world upside down. So much so that we get to Acts 17. And that's what they say about the apostles. These are the men who have turned the world upside down. And now they've come here. And so I want us to think about what we see in the book of Acts that they were doing. That they were working towards the way that they were holding fast to what God had told them. And how this incredible change was coming through what they were doing. I'm going to tell you, it looks nothing like what our world says today. And so I want us to think about what that looks like. And so a couple things we're going to look at instead of just zooming in. It's in 17, chapter 17, verse six, where they say that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. But I want us to kind of zoom out and see what they were doing beginning in chapter 16, verse 16, and working our way through about verse nine of chapter 17. Because there's some things we see them giving themselves to and doing that I think lead the people of that time to say these are the guys that are turning the world upside down. And make no mistake, when they say that, that was not a a phrase of endearment or, or looking up to them for doing it. They're threatened by them turning the world upside down. In fact, they say it as a way of attacking them. So let's be clear, that's what they're saying. But I think what they were doing was maybe seen as a threat to them, but it was actually a wonderful thing in what they were accomplishing. And so this is the way I want us to look at this passage this morning. First, I want us to consider why the people say that, right? That's the people of the town in Thessalonica where Paul and Silas and Luke is now with them. If you notice when we were reading, it says us or we, we went to these places. So Luke is now with them. Luke, the author of Acts is there partaking of this. And you see them going into these places. And as they go into Thessalonica, that's what they say. And so I want us to first ask why they said this. Why what they were doing and saying and being faithful to was so threatening to the people. Secondly, I want us to look at the way that we see them bringing change and what we can learn from it. And then lastly, how could we do this today? So let's just start with that idea of why they would say that to begin with. And so we're really going to look at three scenes, three kind of snapshots that happen one after the other. Uh, Josh just read it for us just a second ago. If you were listening, the, the first scene that we look at is in is in chapter 16, beginning in verse 16 as Paul and Silas and Luke are going through the towns and they're preaching the gospel. They're doing as they normally do. And this young girl, slave girl is following them and he turns and he rebukes the spirit that is in her and casts it out and they cause an uproar. It upsets the people of the town because they've just removed this supernatural ability she has to be a fortune teller through this spirit. And he says, in the name of Jesus, be done with that. And then they get angry and they begin to attack them and they beat them and they throw them in jail. And that's the first scene. 
The second scene is in the jail in Philippi. Paul and Silas and most likely Luke with them in jail there together. And it says they're singing praises and praying to God and an earthquake comes and shakes them free from being in jail. And they have this opportunity to escape. But in lieu of escaping, they stop and they share the gospel with the jailer. And the jailer comes to faith and then they go to his house and you see God working in this. And that's kind of the second snapshot. The next day they get up. They're freed. They realize that they made a mistake by putting them in jail to begin with. They didn't have good grounds and they let them go. And so they move on to the next town in Thessalonica. And then that's the third scene that we see. And in the third scene, as they go into the next town, they do the same thing and they preach the gospel and they continue to point to who Jesus is and what he's done. And guess what happens? They start another riot. Right? Things get out of hand quickly and the people are ready to attack them. And the same thing happens again. And so if we just look on the very surface and ask the question, why would the people in Thessalonica say these are the men that have turned the world upside down? The answer is pretty straightforward. Everywhere they go, it turns into a riot. I mean, really, they're they're troublemakers. Everywhere they go, people get really incensed and they get mad and they start to attack them and beat them and want to throw them in jail and want to have nothing to do with them. The question is, why? What's happening that what they're saying is so threatening that they're ready to beat them and throw them in jail or kick them out of the town? And so I want you to look at what they accuse them of in this passage to think about that. So go to chapter 16. We're going to pick up in verse 19. And so Paul and Silas are walking and they they turn and they rebuke this girl. They tell the spirit to go and look what happens. And so when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. She was a fortune teller who was doing this through a demonic spirit and they cast it out and they're like, well, great. Now we're we're in trouble here. This was our moneymaker. And so they're upset that the hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And then they had brought them to the magistrate. They said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Make note of that. I'm going to say that again in a minute. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And so the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Right. And so I just want you to focus there, though, on what they were upset about. One, they took away their moneymaker. And then two, it says they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice, right? So that's what they're upset about. Now flip over to chapter 17 as they go into the next town and pick up at verse 5. All it's told us that's happened in the first four verses is they go into the town and they go to the, the synagogue as they normally do and they clearly preach the gospel and say it all points to Jesus. All of the Bible is about Jesus. And they do that. And then what happens in verse 5? But when the Jews, the Jews were jealous and, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and tacked the house of Jacob, Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city's authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And so I want you to notice both places. 
They're upset, one, because they did away with their moneymaker at the beginning. But then the the thing that they uh, levy against them is that they're calling us to go against the customs of Rome to the way we do things. And then you flip over to 17 and the same thing happens. They're saying there's another king. Instead of being uh, holding fast to our allegiance to Caesar, they're calling us to allegiance to this other king, Jesus. And so they're frustrated at what they're doing. I think we could summarize it this way. When they're saying they're advocating different customs and what we're supposed to be as Romans and our King Caesar, we could summarize it like this. They're cutting to the core of the things that they believe gave them security and meaning and identity in their lives. They saw themselves as Romans first. This is the way we do things. Our king is Caesar. And you're telling me there's something else. And it disturbs them. It upsets them. It brings them to a place of being angry. And I think what you're seeing all the way through Acts is what happens is they go into these places and they begin to expose what's happening, what's really happening with their heart, with the gospel, and it upsets people. And so they're saying, you can't do this. This is who we are as Romans. This is the way we do things. And it makes them angry. Right. So that's why they're saying these men have turned the world upside down. And I want you to think about that. If someone challenges your most core foundational beliefs where you find your identity and your meaning and your purpose, it is like having your world turned upside down. Especially if they're making a good argument and it's really making you wrestle with it. And that's exactly what's happening here. And so I want us to think about how they did this. Why this was happening. Why from town to town to town this keeps happening over and over again. And so there's a couple things I want to point you to as we consider how were they consistently doing this. And so look at the beginning of chapter 17 because this is important because this is the pattern that Paul follows everywhere he goes. So 17 verse 2, and Paul went in as was his custom and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And so what Paul would do is he would go into the town and he would first begin to speak the gospel and he would begin to expound who God was and what he had done and what he'd been saying and how all of it finds its ends in Jesus. And that Jesus is the savior of the world. And that Jesus upholds all things by the power of his word. And that Jesus is the only way that you come to God. And that Jesus is the true king, not Caesar. And he would ruffle a lot of feathers doing that. And here's why. We saw just a second ago that the, the, what they uh, accused them of is you're trying to get us to go against the way we are as Romans. You're trying to get us to go against the way we are as honoring Caesar as king. And so the first thing I want you to see, if we're going to be bring, bring change in our world, is that we hold fast to God's word and we reveal the idols of our culture. And I use the word idol for this reason. We talk about idolatry at different times, but when we talk about it, it can seem very antiquated. You go Idols, I don't, I don't really know about idolatry. I don't really have little wooden things that I worship in my house. But the idea of an idol is a good thing in your life that becomes the ultimate thing. So a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. 
And so when we take something that is a good gift from God, but we make it the thing in our life, it causes all sorts of problems. When we seek to get our primary identity and meaning and hope from something other than God, it will ultimately let us down. And so what Paul would do is he'd come in and he'd expound the scriptures and he'd show what the word says and he would show them this. And then he would show the areas clearly where they were holding to something else in the place that God should have. He would expose their idolatry by God's word. And it f- makes people furious. Right? They're ready to run them out. Let's beat them and throw them in jail. You can't say that. The word of God is sharper than a two edged sword. And it divides and shows where our heart is putting our faith and trust in other things. And when we hold fast to the word, it does that. And it's hard to hear. And that's exactly what Paul was doing and Silas was doing as they were going into these towns. And so right here we see a people that see themselves as Romans first. That see themselves as Caesar is king first. This is most important. And if you challenge that, they're going to well up and they're ready to fight. Literally. They're ready to beat you. And so I want us to think about how that works today, even in our culture today. We do the same thing all the time. We put our hope and our meaning and our identity in temporal things. We do it in all sorts of things. And then we fight over with people who differ from us. We do it uh, in our politics. You see that in the political discourse today. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. And they take it personally. Like that's who I am as a person, what I believe about my politics. And if you disagree with me, then I'm going to fight you over it. And it devolves very quickly into this ugly back and forth. And it's because we're letting that be our identity, our primary identity. We buy into the lie that hope and meaning come from a certain political ideology. When Jesus is the only one that can do that. And so we get frustrated and we get angry. Sometimes we do it with being American. You see that in our world today. And here's the hard part with idolatry. It's always good things. Almost always good things. The things that we cling to as being the ultimate thing for meaning and purpose and our hope are good things. For example, being American. We are blessed beyond belief to live in the United States. We live in, I think, the greatest country that's ever been. We enjoy freedoms that the rest of the world can't even fathom. Not only do we enjoy freedoms, we live in prosperity that most of the world would their jaw would drop if they saw the way we lived. And I'm not talking about the most wealthy. I'm talking about just the average American. Most people in the world, their jaw would drop at the way we live. We are incredibly blessed. And so it becomes a slippery slope where America starts to become an idol in our life. We can see ourselves as American first. That's the most important thing. And if somebody comes up against that, we're going to fight against that with everything we've got. It's because it slid into a place of being not a good thing, but the ultimate thing. And if people begin to push back against that, we get upset. We want to honor our country. Right. That's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. 
Again, it's a huge blessing that we live where we do. And we want to honor those things. But what happens is when somebody challenges that, an ugliness comes out. And I mention that because the last couple weeks in our country, over whether you stand or kneel for the national anthem, has become one of the ugliest things I've seen in a long time in my lifetime. And it saddens me greatly. And I'm not make, I don't want to make this a political thing. I don't want to make it into a debate to this. This is the only thing that I want us to talk about is this. How we respond to the people who disagree with us on this issue. Because if we get to a place where we feel like I'm okay to be harsh and ugly and angry and assign motives to the people who think differently than I do, then the flag of the country or America has become an idol in my life. And I'm going to tell you why. As a believer, we are called to love all people. All people. People we disagree with. People that we find are disrespectful. People who say things that we would just vehemently disagree with what they're saying. But if we start to get to the place where we feel like we're now okay to be ugly and rude and shaming and belittling and looking down on them, we are no longer honoring God. You understand? The Bible says this over and over again, that we are called to love people, to meet them where they are, to love them means that we listen to them and we enter in with them and we walk with them and then we might still completely disagree. But guess what? We're still called to love them. It doesn't give us the right to then be really ugly. Never does Jesus say you love your neighbor and you love them and you love them and then only then can you really be ugly to them. They ask Jesus, how many times do you forgive them? Seven times? No, 70 times. So you keep doing it. And here's what I want you to see. The connection here that's really important. This visceral reaction when somebody disagrees with something like that. It reveals the idols of our heart. That's exactly what Paul and Silas are doing in this culture. They walk in and they call them to be faithful to Jesus. Your kingdom is... There's a kingdom of heaven that's more important than the kingdom of Rome. And they go, let's beat them and throw them in jail. It reveals what we see as most important. And so when you look around in our world today and you see people that are ugly and they're attacking and they say, I'm attacking because I want to defend the honor of my country. And so it's okay for me to be ugly and harsh and rude to the people that don't get that. Do you understand when we start to do that, that our idol, what we care more about is the perceived ability to stand up for our country than we do for glorifying God and what he's like? That's not what God's like. Thankfully, wonderfully, that's not what he's like. Because I disrespect him all the time. Because I turn to my sin Instead of honoring him all the time. But what does God do? He pursues me. And he loves me. And he continues to come after me. And so we as the church have an opportunity to show what God's like when people are really ugly. Or we perceive them to be disrespectful. Or we perceive them to be. And they may be. They may be really disrespectful. They may be doing things that are not right, but we still have an opportunity to show the love of Christ in the way we respond to them. But when we do, 
exactly what Paul and Silas do here. They come in and they proclaim the, the, the gospel and they show what Jesus is like and people get angry. And look what happens. Right? Pick up in 16 verse 20. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men are disturbing the cities. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and they gave orders to beat them with rods. And they inflicted many blows upon them and they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. And so when you begin to talk to the idols of the culture and holding it up to God's word, this is what happens. Thankfully, we live in a place where it's not physically being beaten, but you will be attacked. You will be attacked for what you say if you're holding fast to what God says. But look at what they do in verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Do you see what happens? They're unjustly beaten. They're unjustly thrown in prison. All of these things happen because they're proclaiming the word of God. They're not doing anything wrong. And their response is, we're going to sing praises and we're going to pray to God. And notice what it says. And the prisoners were listening. They're going, what is the deal with these guys? And so when we talk about one of seeing the world turned upside down it's exposing the idols of the culture by god's word but then when the the blowback comes when people get upset at the exposing of the idols we get to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly and praise him all the more that we were counted worthy to suffer for his name and that's exactly what paul and silas do and as they do there's a witness there that comes with it it says the prisoners were listening. They were seeing what they were doing. Right? They're going, whoa, what is with these guys? And right about that time as they're praying and singing praises and they're putting their faith and their trust in God, a great earthquake comes and it shakes them loose. And God takes care of them in the midst of that. And we can read that story and I can tell you that and I can say you proclaim the gospel and you bring to light the idols of the culture. You will face persecution. God will take care of you. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes you'll just sit in prison. Right? He shakes the foundations and he brings them free right here. But that's not always how it works. Sometimes you just sit in prison. Sometimes for a long time. But God is sovereignly in control and he's good and we can trust him in those times. And that's what the Bible calls us to do, to speak the truth, to reveal the idols, but then to be gracious and kind to those people that that fight back against that. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas do. And so if we want to see the world changed. We proclaim the word, show the idols and then be kind and gracious when people are ugly to us. And the same is true. Whether you're getting back from someone, you're being persecuted for your belief or what you're saying, or maybe it's just you have a really difficult time in your life right now. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's you've lost a job. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's 
people uh, that you work with are really difficult. Maybe you have a boss that's persecuting you in the sense of they're just ugly to you. You have an opportunity in those times and in those places to continue to be gracious and kind. And that is a witness to God's love in your life. We get to do that. I don't know if you think about it that way, but we get to show what God's like and the way we respond to the people that would attack us. Or the way we respond to just difficult situations in our life. And so that's what Paul and Silas do. But there's one more thing I want you to see here. So they, the, the earthquake comes and they shake and their bonds are loosened and unfastened. And then verse 27, it says the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open and he drew his sword for he was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. You know why he's about to kill himself? Because if they escape, the Romans are going to kill him. Right. So he figures, I'll just go ahead and do this myself. I'll save them the time. This, I know where this leads if I lose these prisoners. And then all of a sudden, Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And so I want you to think about this scene. They're put in jail for something they didn't do. God miraculously shakes the prisons, opens the doors, and instead of heading for the door and getting away, they wait. They would have been completely justified to have been like, we are out of here. This is a sign of God. We are gone. Let's go. All right. And instead they wait. And they wait for what reason? So they can share the gospel with the guy that put them in jail. So they can be there to answer the jailer. He's about, no, 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 don't kill yourself. We're here. And he's, Okay. And then he turns to them and says, what must I do to be saved? And they, they share the gospel and you see this guy come to faith and his family. And so here's the third thing I want you to see. That we have opportunities daily to put other people in front of ourselves. If we have an eternal perspective, what is expedient or what is good for me in the moment takes a back seat to an eternal perspective to love other people and meet them where they are. And that's exactly what they do with the jailer. They go, no, 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 we haven't gone anywhere. And we want to share with you who Jesus is. We want to share with you who the God who's, who's releasing us right now is. And they do. And he comes to faith. And so when we look at what they're doing as they go from town to town, it becomes a blueprint of what it looks like to honor God in all things. We proclaim the word and expose the idols. But when people come at you with that, you continue to be gracious and kind and merciful. And you give God the glory and the praise, even in those hard times. And then you seek to put other people first. Even the person that would put you in jail. Even the person who would completely disagree with you politically on whatever issue it is. Even your neighbor who's a total jerk to you day in and day out. Whatever it may be, the difficult coworker, you fill in the blank of what that looks like and you have opportunities all around you to show people what God is like and the way that you respond to him. And that's the way we begin to turn the world upside down day to day and the people in front of us. How do we do that? Is that easy? Right now you've got it. Just love everybody, be kind and gracious, put them first, speak the truth, discern the idols, 
point them to Jesus. There you go. Is that easy? No, it's really hard. In fact, in and of yourself, it's impossible. Here's three ways that you can turn the world upside down. Now, go try to do it, but you're going to fail miserably because you can't do it. Good news. All right. Have a good week. No, the truth is Jesus has already done it. And he's done it completely and totally. And that's the way he's responded to us. We turn our backs on him. We ignore him. We go the other way. We say, no, thanks. I've got this. And he continues to pursue us. And then he enters into time and space and he does all of it perfectly. He lives the life that we should have lived. He dies the death that we deserve. And then by grace, he gives that to us. And then he says, you come to me in faith and I will come into your life and I will begin to remake you little by little. And you will begin to live and show what Jesus is like in your life. And we get to be part of that. And so our job is to entrust ourselves to God and what he's done. To see that he's already done it completely and totally and fully. And now we get to show people what God's like as he's being formed in us. I can't do any of that. My natural inclination is not to do any of those things. But when I begin to see more fully who God is and what he's done for me in Jesus, it begins to change my heart. It's not me, but it's Christ being formed in me. That God loves us so much that he does that. And that we have opportunities daily. And now here's the best part. As we begin to do that, we fail. And we blow it. And we don't do it that well. And then God is there to come and to show you, I love you and I've forgiven you and I've done this for you and I'm still not finished with you. And he magnifies his glory in your life over and over, even when you blow it, especially when you blow it. And he begins to show you that it's all about what he's done for you. And we want to see the world turned upside down. We would see Jesus as bigger than all of this. See him formed each day in and through us for his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that it reveals our heart and our intentions, but then you come in and you show us how you've met, met those things. The areas where we haven't been trusting you or we put our trust in other things. But when they fail, that you come and you love us and you show us and you correct us and you remake us. And we thank you for that. We pray that we would show more fully what you're like each day in the way that we respond to people, that we walk with one another, that you would be lifted up. Lord, we pray for our country that is so divided in so many ways. Let us as your people be a light in the midst of that. I pray that we would be people who listen well who hear people that we disagree with, but we still love them, that we walk with them, that we listen and we seek to do that well, to point to who you are. That as we do and as we show something different, that we would be quick to point that it is you in us and not about us. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.